to Season 2, Episode 8 from the Bolt from the Blue podcast. Let's start off in the usual way by introducing our guest. First of all, King of the Kipax writer, football finance expert and City Matters Committee member, Colin Savage. He's on Twitter at Prestwich Blue. How are you doing, Colin? I'm all right. I'm a bit shattered. As I, say, I had um, a few medical appointments today. One of them concerned my eyes and having to have drops in. And I was told you cannot drive because these drops will make your vision blurred. So I walked um, to and from the appointments. I also had a GP appointment, which wasn't far away. And because um, as soon as I stepped out the house to go there, the heavens opened. Oh, and it, just as I got to the doctors for my first appointment, it, the, the rain stopped. But it was OK. So I've done a lot of walking today. My feet are a bit sore, but I think they're in a better state than rain. <laughs> well, we might talk about that. We also, guys, have the producer of the Man City Fan Chat YouTube channel uh, and uh, also football broadcaster, Ray, and he's on Twitter at ManCity underscore Ray. Ray, how are you doing, mate? Very, very well. Uh, just hearing about Colin's problem with his eyes, you know, that um, he, he should become a referee if he's got problems with his eyes. <laughs> I'm, I'm very well, Mike. Obviously, you know, I was in hospital yesterday with a few problems with my legs and feet and ankles. Five hours visit to the the hospital and, and a good system it, I'd have been in, in and out within two hours I'll later on I'm also a writer now and you, you should be able to see me in print in a, uh, the next home game it'll be it's for the disability uh, magazine Access for Blues so. I did see that actually tonight and um, yeah. it's a very good publication actually um, yeah. Mark Barb does a great job on that and um, to be honest it's better quality than the match day programme <laughs> <laughs> well guys we are here to discuss Manchester City 3 Tottenham 2 sorry let me say that again Manchester City 2, Tottenham 2. Goals from Sterling and Aguero for City, Lamela and Mora for Tottenham. To quote Wayne Rooney, every week, every bleeping week. Well, guys, <laughs> it was Groundhog Day. Deja vu all over again, as some might say. Stonewall penalties become suddenly invisible. Goals ruled out for microscopic infractions. The eye of Sauron does it for us once again. Maurizio after referred to as Mopo has certainly changed his tune on VAR, guys. Once a fierce opponent, after the game, he opined, I'm in love with VAR. Sometimes you get the benefits today and in the Champions League, but you cannot stop the progression of technology. We need to accept that we were living in a different era. Unbelievable stuff. Guys, we're going to start off with an opening question. I'm going to direct it to Colin Savage. Here it is. Colin, what is in most need of serious review? The implementation of VAR 
or the laws of the game, namely handball and offside? Well, I think it's an 80-20 rule, this one. I think 80-20 is the laws of the game. 20% is the implementation of VAR. And what I mean by that is what we've got with VAR now, and, and we saw it with the offside decisions at West Ham last week and, and tonight with the United game when there was uh, it looked, looked as though the Wolves goal might be disallowed. We've now got that ability to be very precise about offside. But of course, there is a margin of error and one of the articles in the in the media over the weekend said that Sterling was something like 2.5 centimetres offside, but there's supposed to be a 13 or 14 centimetre margin of error. Well, it's shown up, and the handball, uh, the report handball, which we'll talk about in a bit more, that was another incident. So what VAR has shown up is people are saying, well, you're either offside or you're not offside, but it turns out that you may not be offside <laughs> if you look side. And I think what VAR has shown up is that perhaps we need to look at the laws in the light of the technology, uh, whereas before... Uh, and I've made the point before, those those goals at, at West Ham last or, or those incidents at West Ham last week, I suspect that the first one, which was disallowed, would have been allowed without VAR and vice versa for the goal that was allowed. So I think technology has has moved, almost moved the game on, but the game hasn't kept pace. Interesting example, if I can just kind of yeah. diverge a moment. In, um, back in 2012, Mike Riley came up to the Etihad for a Q&A, a presentation in the Q&A for, for a select group. And one of the things we got talking about was red card for a denial of a clear goal-scoring opportunity. And the rule had been brought in to address problems like uh, one of the, I think one of the Koeman brothers, wasn't it? Playing for Holland and brought down an England player in a European or a World Cup game just outside the box. And there was no other punishment you can give other than a yellow card and a free kick, which kind of didn't seem to fit the crime. So, so the red card for denial of a clear goal scoring opportunity was, was brought in to address that sort of issue. And that's fine. One of the things that happened was players were getting red cards for offences within the area. And the point was put to Mike Riley that if you're talking about denial of a clear goal scoring opportunity, if you give a penalty, you've basically restored that goal scoring opportunity. Because if you've, if you've stopped someone scoring a goal, the penalty gives, them, gives someone the chance to put that right. So why were you giving a red card unless a red card was deserved for the offence itself? It took Mike Riley a little while to grasp this point, um, which was somewhat strange because considering he headed up the referees organisation. But the, the law has caught, caught up with that now. So you don't necessarily get a red card if you give away a penalty offence in the area. And it was quite funny because after a, a, quite a long discussion, uh, Mike Riley said, uh, yeah, yeah, we've had these discussions at PGMOL. Uh, and we, but we came to the conclusion that if we stopped giving a red card for, for offences within the area. Defenders would let attackers get in the area and then foul them. And everyone sort of laughed and said, well, you give a penalty. That's your, that's your sanction. So it's not quite a similar example, but football has moved on because something they brought in has had a, an unintended consequence and they've had to address that consequence. And I think offside, and I think we talked about, we must have talked about this last week, they will have to address that consequence. We have got a reader question or a, a bolt from the blue supporter question for Ray. And here goes the question, Ray. I'm going to read it to you as it was written to me. Uh, Ray, in making a call, uh, that's a referee's call, what do you understand as separation of duties between the referee on the pitch and the VAR panel watching the screen? Okay, the ref, I think the referee just got, has got to continue to make decisions on the pitch as he sees fit, irrespective of what VAR could do. Uh, I think we saw that last week. I still say that Mike Dean looked like he was going to run away from the penalty decision against West Ham. He's already turned to go away. I still don't think he was going to give a penalty and then he probably thought well VAR is going to show me up so I'll give the penalty uh, and if they want to say it wasn't a penalty VAR can take it away again but I think that's wrong I think they should keep giving decisions as they see fit 
what the VAR officially supposed to do. Look, look, every single goal is going to be dissected in minute detail to see if there was an infringement. We don't know how long before, uh, but they're going to look back in the, into the build-up of the goal to see if there was any sort of minute infringement so that they can say it's not, it's not a goal. And, I, and I, I find that hard to take because the purpose of the game is to score goals and we want to see goals. So and the VAR official, so, so this two, it's kind of twofold, I think. One, you're looking after a goal is scored, is there any reason not to give this goal? Basically, you're looking for any, as I said, any minute reason to not give this goal. And the second is, if the referee has made a clear and obvious error somewhere around the pitch, then you should be in the basically in his ear. You know, if an elbow has been missed, for instance, or the tackle that's been made that the referee may have given a yellow card actually wanted a, warranted a red card or he's missed a penalty incident that's what he should be doing he should be an extra set of eyes and ears so to speak and if something is clear and obvious he should be overruling the referee and I think that's one where one of the problems will come in because I think there's this fear and we saw it with someone like Dermot Gallagher if you saw, saw it on Sky when he, he was squirming uh, rather than answer the question whether the Rodbury incident was a penalty or not and he spent three minutes basically obfuscating um, avoiding the giving the proper answer and throwing his ex-colleague under the bus the, the answer was yes it's damn right it's a penalty and whether the referee who had a good apparently a good um, view of the incident missed, somehow missed it somehow blinked for two seconds and missed the incident but then the VAR official should have been overruling him and telling him this is like, it's such a blatant thing Demo Gallagher couldn't say it so I think one of the issues is now some of the you could argue with all due respect lesser officials who are on VAR, VAR duty don't want to uh, overrule someone who's supposed to be the, at the top of his game in Michael Oliver. So they're not independent, so to speak. They feel that pressure. And I think that somehow you've got to, they've got to make decisions without fear or favour. And here they've got this fear of throwing the referee on the pitch under under a bus. You know, can you overrule him five or six times in a game? I don't think that he can look at the incidents, but telling him this is actually what's happened. We have to overrule. It's clear and obvious. And I'll go back to that, Rodri. It was clear and obvious. I was on the, uh, the back of the third tier of the South stand so I'm one row from the back and I saw that with my Mr Magoo eyes and as soon as that happened I said that's a penalty and lo and behold it was a penalty it wasn't given Thank you to our listeners for the questions that I asked for we have one for Colin Savage it reads Colin do you think the real reason why officials have not been mic'd up and their discussions made audible and even replays shown to fans in the stadium is because they fear violent reactions from supporters? Um, well, uh, yes, possibly. I don't think that's the primary reason. I think they are frightened of people just hearing what's going on between the officials, to be honest, because to pick up what Ray said, I don't think they quite understand this process. Put my cards on the table. I, I want VAR because we've seen so many incidents where we've been denied penalties or, or goals or something for the lack of the technology. And I would say that the, the physical, the mechanical process is actually working quite well as far as it can do. But as, as Ray said, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And, and we don't know, for example, what was said to Michael Oliver. David Mooney apparently had spoken to the Premier League about the penalty incident. And the reaction, the official reaction from the Premier League to his question was why it seemed to be a clear and obvious error. Why wasn't it given a penalty? Well, well because Michael Oliver could see it and therefore we didn't want to overrule him. Now, I can understand the point about not wanting to re-referee games, but 
you know, where do you draw the line between a clear and obvious error and not getting in the referee's ear every time something happens? So I, I don't think, to answer the question, that the primary reason is to, to avoid violence. I don't think that would, I'm not sure that would occur to the authorities. I, I just think they're frightened of hearing what, frightened of us hearing and seeing what goes on between them. Even before VAR, they never show controversial replays on the big screen because they're told not to. I'm kind of going back on myself, really. Part of the reason is not to create controversy and not to, I guess it's not to incite the crowd. Whether whether you would take that to violence, I, I would say it's more to do with trying to maintain the integrity. Or, well, well, perhaps <laughs> to say, but you know, trying to trying to maintain what they see as the integrity of the refereeing process. Because if you show a, a, a replay on the screen and the referee is clearly shown to be wrong, that doesn't help. The reaction will get back to him. If the Premier League, if the Premier League are going to turn around and say that Oliver, Michael Oliver, saw that incident and that's their excuse for not being over, if they say he saw that incident he should not be refereeing even kids football well, if they're going to say he saw that and didn't give it, let, let me come to Michael Oliver because I always call him Bottler. Yeah. Because we've we often see him bottle big decisions. Now we saw him at the Derby a few seasons ago at, at the Etihad. There were two absolutely nailed on penalties he should have given, and one he probably should have given, and he didn't give any of them. So yeah. he's a bottler. He bottles big decisions, and I've got the theory, and I've talked about this a few times, that referees who don't give decisions don't get remembered as much as referees who do give wrong decisions. Yes. So referees, it was a Howard Webb speciality. Don't give something you're in any doubt about, but no one remembers that as long as giving something that you, you may have got 40% wrong. Absolutely. And one, one of the other things is, you don't, we've seen this, but you do get VAR officials who do not, for whatever reason, want to overrule the referee on the pitch. And I'll give you an example, a, a very good example. The Super Cup final last week, Liverpool versus Chelsea, and the VAR official, apparently the, the, the communication has come out that the referee had made a decision for a penalty and the VAR official didn't see a clear and obvious reason to overrule. Well, it wasn't a penalty. In no, in, in no way, shape or form was that, in my opinion, a penalty. And for most observers, they agreed it wasn't a penalty. But they would not overrule the referee, partly because of the stature of the game and partly because, and this is not in any way, please don't misunderstand me, listeners, sexist or anything, because a female referee was in a prominent role in a prominent game, in a huge game. And they did, it could have been a man there as well, but they did not want to overrule. Same as the um, final penalty where they were, uh, the goalie was off the line. Why would they not overrule that? The goalie was well off the line. It should have been retaken and they didn't overrule it. And afterwards, you say, they, they basically said the re referee had a great game. I'm sorry if you're making those calls. It's not a great game. You know, VAR should have overruled and they should have the confidence and the convictions to do that. And I don't think they're in that position to do that because they don't want to, as, as I said with Demet Gallagher, they don't want to criticise their peers. They don't want to criticise their colleagues. Um, it's the same way I've been banging on for about a year and a half about journalists who don't come out and criticise their colleagues who write prejudice and in my opinion, racist articles about young black footballers. None of them come out and criticise each other for this. And it's the same way All Boys Network with, with the referees, next referees and, and the administrators, they don't want to throw people under a bus 
I don't think they're throwing them under a bus. We just want, if you're going to have VAR now, you said you want help, then you've got the help, then use it properly. The next question, and I think it's a good one, is for Colin Savage. And this BFTB uh, follower cites the comments of Danny Murphy Colin. And Danny Murphy said, the new handball rule is ridiculous. That should never, on any playing field, anywhere in the world, be disallowed. It wouldn't even have been seen if we didn't have VAR. The question to Colin Savage is, given the general attitude, the journalistic attitude towards Manchester City, did the largely sympathetic reactions of many pundits surprise you, Colin? Uh, y- yes, I guess it did, uh, being a you know, tinfoil hat type. Again, I mean, we, we, we talked about VAR, and there's a contradictory position, isn't there, that, that we took with the penalty incident. But on the one hand, we're saying that we want the, we want the referee to make the decision on the field. But on the other hand, we're saying, well, he should be overruled by VAR if there's a clear and obvious error. So you may see that as contradictory or not, I don't know. But in terms of the handball, if you think think back to last season we dropped two points at Wolves because a goal was scored by Bowley's arm accidentally maybe but it wouldn't have been seen by it wasn't seen by the officials and, and it certainly wouldn't have been seen um, without VAR or almost unlikely to have been seen without VAR and we loudly complained about that felt it was unfair and, and the law was changed and I thought on the surface again we're talking about the, the, the law of unintended consequences I thought on the surface it was a good change that, that you could say a, uh, that a goal couldn't be scored by the arm now to me there should be no argument about that but of course we get this situation where we're kind of moving that decision back to well there was an assist for the goal but would that have been given as a penalty if it hit the defender's arm and the answer is you you know you very much doubt it because it was accidental and the burden of deciding whether it's accidental or intentional still impact the giving of a penalty so you've still got to as a referee you've still got to make that decision if you're looking at a defender but you don't have to make it when you're looking at an attacker so again i thought the law only applied to goals that were actually scored with the arm which, which i would accept that 100 even if it had brushed laporte's arm now there's this thing about he was being held and he's being pushed and his arm did it hit both the arms but I, I think you've got to set that aside I'm going to be a bit controversial I think you've got to set that aside but my concern of, with that is it should only apply to a goal actually scored with the arm unless it's clearly intentional by the person who handles the ball before the goal scorer to to lay it on for the goal scorer in Laporte's case in the case of assist, I think we should still be making the call about intention, intentionality, if that's a word, or otherwise. Y- yes, I'm in favour of the of the law change, but I think again they need to look at how the detail is implemented. Yeah, when I, when I was listening to Colin there, I was I was still thinking, well, I don't like the idea of an accidental uh, handball that's not just brushed somebody; it's hit struck someone very hard, and that's laid the ball into somebody else's path, and then they slammed it home because it doesn't feel it doesn't feel great but when you listen when you try and stand back and think about it i think it has to be deliberate yeah ha- and, and then you can still be subjective but and people will still complain that your subjectivity might be right or wrong and it's a matter of opinions but then i think what you're then doing is making the subjectivity that range smaller and smaller if you if you say if it's if we think it's deliberate you're not getting that if we think it's an accident you'll get that and it's one of those without VAR that would not have been spotted and and as Colin has, has said if, if it had hit the defender's arm we wouldn't have got a penalty so you can't have one 
one law for one and another law for the other. I just can't see how that's right and fair. Brings us to the notion of clear and obvious. The next question is exactly on this. Loving these questions from the listeners. This question is for you, Colin. And the question goes like this. Has the phrase clear and obvious been quietly put to rest by the officials? That's a good question. I'd say I'm not sure it's been put to rest, but I'm not at all sure that they've got to grips with it. And again, what we're saying about the Laporte thing was I'm quite happy, as I say, to have a have, have it as part of the law that you cannot score a goal with your hand or your arm, whether that's deliberate or accidental. Yeah, I agree. So so I'm quite happy with that. But we, we come back to the Laporte one. Was that a clear and obvious error? I mean, if, if, if Laporte had punched the ball into the net, you'd say that was a and it hadn't been Spotted, you'd say that was a clear and obvious error. But well, you know, was, I think they need, they do need to get. I don't think it's been forgotten in the sense that it's been in, ignored, but it's not being implemented in the way I suspect it should be. Here's a yeah. beautiful question for you, Ray, from one of our followers. This question goes like this, Ray: If VAR had been in practice in 1986, do you have complete confidence that Maradona's handball would have been ruled out? That's a tough one. The ref. I'll tell you what the problem was going to be. The referee who saw the incident, saw five foot six Maradona leap above six foot Peter Shilton and Peter Shilton could use his hands and Maradona should not have been able to use his hands. If the referee on the pitch says that was a clear goal, would the VAR official have the cojones to overrule him? Well, we've seen Mr. Scott certainly didn't uh, on Saturday. Would a VAR official have the... I mean, someone would say the audacity to overrule the referee on the pitch. There's one thing I'm going to say. I wanted to make this point, guys, okay? Now, I read something today put out by Richard Keyes. Now, he put out a tweet today with a, a section from the guidelines. And here we go. This is from the guidelines. The Premier League, for the Premier League um, penalties, okay? They're supposed to be a clear and obvious error on handballs for penalties. It's not the fact that any touch on the arm, whether deliberate or accidental or just a mere brush is going to be, the, the goal is going to be disall- disallowed. But it has to be a clear and obvious error. So what they're turning around and saying that the minor brush against Laporte's arm is a is not, sorry, was a clear and obvious error from the referee. That's what they're saying. So the VAR official, has, in this case, had the balls or in my opinion, the goal to overrule the referee when actually it's supposed to be a clear and obvious error. But he didn't have them on the Rodri, which was an obvious clear and obvious error. So (laughs) you cannot have it both ways. Really contradictory position, isn't it, that they've taken on that? Yeah, so they've had their cake, he's eaten it, and he's had my share of cake as well, the beggar. (laughs) The final listener question is for Colin Savage. Now, the listener uh, did uh, refer to a philosophical phrase called the law of non-contradiction, but I'm going to rephrase the question on behalf of the listener for Colin Savage. Colin, the, the pundits, particularly the ESPN FC pundits, have learned a new word. Please teach us about the meaning and significance of the word binary. Well, what binary means is it, it's either one thing or the other, and there is no, it might be this and it might be that. So, so binary means there is no middle ground, basically. It's either X or it's Y, but it can't be somewhere in between. This is what they're talking about offside, because they're saying offside is binary. You either are offside or you're not offside. But obviously what we've seen in the last couple of weeks, certainly at West Ham last week and, and tonight for the United game, is that there is a margin of error referred to before. What VAR has done, what, what the technology has done, is thrown, thrown up this issue which didn't exist before. So... 
yes, you can say that this whole nonsense about Sterling's armpit being offside and which part of your arm is actually legal to score a goal with and which part isn't. Yes, you can say offside is, is binary, but what we've seen and, and this whole thing about which frame you actually take to judge when the ball has left the player's foot and all that sort of stuff, you know, where the arm is and where the leg is and blah, 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 that actually something which we always thought was binary, right? They're offside or you're not offside. You can't be a bit offside. It's actually not binary. It's non-binary. And there is a margin of error. You can make it practically binary. That sounds, does that sound odd? You can practically make it binary. Now, I'm going to roll back a little bit. I don't think the whoever's been looking at these systems. I, I mentioned the word systems because in in my previous life I was a, um, a systems-based internal auditor. I looked at systems and I would look at systems I knew nothing about. And the reason I would come as an independent person, I wasn't there to criticise. I was there to assist whoever was the manager of that system or whatever that system was to make it a better system. So I would go into systems I knew nothing about, and I would learn about them, learn how they worked, learn how the people who were operating in that system did their. Uh, their roles. They refer to that as calling you in to tell them what time it is and then charging them £10,000 for the privilege. Oh no, but I, I, I was internal, so I was not getting paid, you know, I was, I was, that was the job. But I did it and they, see, I used to find external lodges are not very popular because they come in, that's what, they, they can, they're charging a lot of money. I was internal, I was working for the, for the organisation and I'm there to help you to, to improve your system. That was my, my purpose. I wasn't there to look, just look for errors and mistakes and whatever. I was there to help you improve and I was independent I was coming from outside with no knowledge now I feel what they've tried to do to this system and I've, I've seen it in lots of different areas of life in the NHS and other areas as well in, in, in politics people try to improve the systems from within they try to sort it out from within and sometimes you miss glare what an outsider would say it would be a glaring error because you don't think about it because you think oh no that's normal and here's the point now those apparent 25 frames per second so when they look at that system from within they say when the ball leaves when the ball is passed forward so that's whatever the Colin knows a lot better than me but that's a basic uh, summary of the law when the ball is passed forward they will look at it and say yeah when the ball is passed forward let's move on and blah 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 I will look at it and say when is the ball passed forward I've got 25 frames to look at now I would look at that system and say this is the rule I will have this is my protocol this is my policy procedure whatever you want to call it the ball is passed forward when on the frame, the actual individual frame, I can see daylight between the foot and the ball after it's been passed forward. The ball is not connected to the foot. There is daylight and I've got 25 frames in a second to find that moment. And then that is the, that's the moment we freeze it. That's the moment. That's our basis for freezing it. And then we look at the offside on that basis. And I, I, I refer it to cricket. Some of our listeners might not be aware, but on a run out and a stumping in cricket, the frame is frozen as soon as they can see the bail is dislodged from the wicket. That one frame, and they use that, that's their reference point. And they, they understand that it might be slightly wrong, but it's 125th of a second. So it's the, the, the chances of error are very, very minute. And it's the same here. Have a reference point when there's a daylight, that, that single frame that creates that daylight between the foot and the ball, that's your moment of passing forward. And everything goes from that point. We saw in that West Ham game, the offside given against Raheem Sterling was the moment the ball had left the, the player's foot and there was daylight. The pass from Mares to Sterling to lob the keeper that was given 
the, the moment that it was frozen, the ball was still on his foot. So it's a totally different moment in time. So someone from externally could come in and, and ask the questions to determine that because I know nothing about football and I want to get, you know, get an understanding. And I think you need that. So the people who are making these decisions, I question them who's come to, you know, writing these protocols because it's so easy to look from the outside, because I didn't know exactly about 25 frames per second, but yeah. Uh, I mean, Ray related it to his business experience, and I'm going to relate it to mine. You know, I worked on, on programs and projects where we, we, we're tra- we've been trying to implement a strategic change to a company. And what you get at companies quite a lot of the time is a lot of tinkering with the process. Uh, and I think we said this before, you, you start uh, at point A, then you decide you actually got to do B, uh, and you tinker with the process, and you get it to do B, then you need to do C, and you end up with a process which is a bit of a mess, and probably not as good as it could be because you've forgotten what the basic principle you were trying to achieve and and you've gone for tinkering with little things around the edges which take you away from your strategic aim. Now, the offside law is a great example of that, I think, because offside was brought in to stop goal hanging and the law has been changed a number of times and gone through a number of iterations and now actually, again, we had the conversation about this last week, for that goal that was disallowed at West Ham, Gabriel Jesus was goal hanging. And gaining an advantage. But the offside law, as it now stands, ignored that. So for me, I, I think the, the good thing about VAR is it's, it's, it's making us ask these questions and making us look at the offside law, and it will probably change. And the use of, I'm going to be charitable here and say, the use of VAR will probably change as, as the mistakes in what they're doing now become more obvious. Yeah, so one thing that I would say to Ray, and I, I, I made this point to him on Twitter, is that as as valuable as it is to detect daylight between the foot and the ball when the ball is played forward, I think it's equally important that we finally come to the conclusion that there must be daylight between the attacker and the, the last man when deciding that the attacker is offside. Because, guys, centimetres and millimetres and elbows and armpits don't really give the attacker, Colin, a gainful advantage. No, of course they don't. This brings us back to the Gabriel Jesus thing last week at West Ham. Jesus was gay. Gabriel Jesus was gaining an advantage by being in what we would consider an offside position when David Silva played that ball. Now, the one problem you have, you've got when you haven't got technology, is the assistant that's got to take all this in, all this information, in at the same time, has got to watch where the ball is, when the ball's played, where the uh, player who receives the ball is, and he can't look at everything. What technology? has given us is the ability now to look at the scene and freeze it in and see is anyone gaining an advantage in that situation mm-hmm. you know if you were if you were trying to reframe the offside law to fit the the, the world we're in where we now have the, the VAR technology and can do these minute um, measurements you, you would say that in well, in my view, you would reframe the offside law to say, is anyone involved in the move gaining an advantage uh, during that phase of play? Totally agree. And if so, if so, then offside applies. And I would have given Gabriel, I would think you would, under the current law, you wouldn't give Gabriel Jesus offside. But he was definitely gaining an advantage in that position. And I keep saying this, but uh, I, and I've seen it in other, in other instances. So um, there was one incident last season, I can't remember which game it was, where David Silva was actually in an offside position but was coming back when the when the move which led to him being called offside started so it's not to say he was running forward he was coming back so for me how was he gaining an advantage by coming back towards a defender to receive the ball rather than being in front of a defender yeah, you know uh, it's, the it's defender crazy. can't see him. 
I think the basic point is right. It's the same thing. So for me, they're going to, and they've already there's already been talk in the media about they're going to have to look at the offside law and decide how to reframe it in the context of VAR. And, and to me, that's a good thing. Guys, yeah, let's that's... talk. Let's talk about football. We're going to begin with lineups. Manchester City lined up in this way: Ederson, Walker, Otamendi, Laporte, Zinchenko, Gundogan, Rodri, De Bruyne, De Bruyne, uh, Bernardo Silva, Aguero, Sterling substitutes. Bravo, Gabi Jesus, David Silva, Fernandinho, Mares, Jao, Cancelo, and Fo- that means there were four cha- changes of the team named for the 5-0 win at West Ham last Saturday. So that means that off went Stones, David Silva, Riyad Mahrez and Gabby Jesus. And on came Aguero, Bernardo, Ilkay Gundogan and Otamendi. Tottenham lined up like this. Lloris, Walker, Peters, Sanchez, Alderweireld, Rose, Sissoko, Winks, Ndombele, uh, Lamela, Eriksen and Kane. And their subs were Vertonghen, Dyer, Los Celso, Gazaniga, Lucas Mora, Skip and Davis. Guys, the first half started and we were on fire. In the game, there were a total of 30 shots on goal compared to Spurs 3. Pep Guardiola says it was only two because in his words, and I quote, the Kane shot was not a shot. Ray, was this the most dominant display from City that you've seen in a long time? Quite frankly, yeah, for the level, especially with the level of competition. The first 20 minutes, the uh, first 22 minutes, Spurs hardly had three passes in the game uh, that weren't around their box. You know, they were not, they were not in that game. Um, they were miles away from that game. They looked like a poor team, bottom half of the table, relegation threatened, time wasting, uh, hanging on, um, just trying to stay in the game. That was my opinion. And considering uh, they're the, they're the uh, undisputed second best team in Europe. I think that was good going from City. Colin, did you pick up that twice in the opening 20 minutes, Rose, Danny Rose was wasting time at throw-ins. And in fact, the second time he did it, it necessitated the referee coming over and having a, a word in his ear. It's absolutely amazing that a team should be wasting time at throw-ins in the first 20 minutes of the game. Well, I think, as Ray said, they were. Uh, it was a totally dominant performance by us. I think for most of the game, bar some of the sec- some of the later period of the second half, but certainly in that first half, we were absolutely totally dominant. And uh, I think there were there were two uh, kind of two reasons for that. One is our pressing was exceptional. And the second was that Spurs didn't know how, I wouldn't say they were undisputed second best side in Europe, but you could say they're certainly the third best side in the Premier League. Uh, and, and they just could not deal with our press. In, in And they're a good pressing team, but we, we were escaping their press time and time and time again. And But they could not escape our press. I, I also think they were playing very narrow. The fullbacks, the back four were very narrow. So, so Sterling on, on the left and um, uh, De Bruyne and uh, Bernardo Silva on the right, they had acres of room to work in, which was killing them uh, and that, that's where of course the first goal came from oh, and we're going to uh, talk about that right now yeah. um, Ray all on the 20 yeah. minute mark goal Bernardo KDB right cross to Sterling 1-0 according to Danny Taylor in The Guardian I quote the cross was sumptuous spinning high in the air before arcing towards the back post what did you think about that one Ray? Well I thought it was a fabulous goal I mean we, we had the situation where De Bruyne got the ball uh, first time pass uh, around the corner to Bernardo the Spurs players were coming back towards their box and what KDB did was he ran the other way that gave him the space so I can't remember who was it Harry Winks trying to come to Mark be around KDB there were three players there and KDB went the other way where you think well you're attacking you'd be going forwards but he went backwards and the reason he went backwards to, to give himself time and space and as soon as that ball was played back to him you could see on the left-hand side in the box, our players going forward because they knew what was going on. Uh, you had Raheem Sterling free on the far side. You had Ilke Gundogan 
free coming through in the, the centre of uh, the box. You had Walker Peters trying to mark, I think, Aguero. Uh, and Sissoko, who had basically let Raheem Sterling go, he, he you know he was uh, absent without leave. So it was a beautiful cross. There's no way the goalkeeper come out. Uh, it went to the uh, past the far post, and you had Sterling loitering with intent there. And I I I thought he'll try and head it back. I think Aguero was in the centre. I thought he'll try and he's a very tight angle. I thought he'll try and head it back so Aguero can um, nod it in. And he just twisted his head and he just put it in the far corner. And, I, you know, I was um, in the side stand behind that. I thought, wow, could not believe that. I could not believe that Sterling had that impish ability to do that because it was so unexpected. You know, you thought, it, you know, his, his head is not there for heading the ball towards the goal, really. And the chances of pulling that, uh, that header off was, in my book, less than one in ten. Um, and he pulled it off. It was beautiful. It was it was a stunning, stunning goal. The, the, the cross was sumptuous and the finish was sublime. Yeah, nobody thought that he had that in his increasing locker. Colin Savage, three minutes later, goal in Dombele threads one through to Lamella. Do you you blame Colin Ederson, who was badly positioned, according to many, or do you blame the fact that Laporte had committed the classic defensive error, turning his back? Well, uh, yeah, I know there's a school of thought that blames Ederson for that goal. I, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I, um, I don't want to jump on the bandwagon. What, what got me about that goal was something I read at the time that Pep had accepted the appointment or was publicly known that he was going to be our next manager. I, I read up quite, quite a lot about him. And one thing I read was about how he manages teams defensively. Now, of course, he's no Tony Pulis, you know, getting 10 men behind the ball. But, but this thing, article I read, and a very in-depth technical, tactical article, technical and tactical article, was um, his management of, of, of that sort of situation was that where you've got a player adv- attacker advancing with the ball and you've got, and we were, we were well set for that. We were well organised. We, we weren't on the hop on the break. The, the way a pep defence I read would deal with that would be the nearest player would go to the player with the ball and try and block him. And the, the other three players, uh, three of the back four, would kind of screen the player who'd gone to the ball to make sure that if the attacker got past the defender, the first defender, someone would step in to cover. Now, what we did in that, what, what, so, so according to what I read, what should have happened in that move was Laporte should have gone forward to pick up Lamella. And the other three should have should have covered him. Yet we all all four of the back four, and they were perfectly in a line. It wasn't a case that they were caught all over the field or caught on the field. They were all in a line. They all retreated. Every single one of them retreated and, and gave Lamella all the time in the world. Uh, and what he did was he stepped across Laporte and put the, curled the ball round him, which I think may have unsighted Aderson a little bit. But I blame. Uh, well, I'm I'm going to blame Laporte for that goal. Because he should have, rather than retreating, he was the man facing Lamella. He should have gone to meet him or at least stood his ground. Yeah, indeed. Laporte in French, of course, translates as the door. The door was open. Well, it was on bloody occasion. Open, wasn't it? Absolutely. Ray, if you uh, check your football dictionary for the phrase against the run of play, you will probably see a little video of that particular goal. Uh, Ray, 35 minutes. Goal. Bernardo. KDB. Aguero. 2-1. Normal service resumed. I thought KDB on the right, especially in that first half, when he was crossing the ball, was incredible. I mean, the cross for Ray. 
Raheem's first goal, the cross for Aguero's goal, absolutely pinpoint, accurate, perfect. Yeah, I mean, Aguero stole that half yard in front of the defence. De Bruyne put, KDB put the ball in and Aguero just needed a little touch, you know, the same sort of touch if you were watching the Liverpool game that agent Danny Ings failed to, to put on the ball to get a draw against Liverpool. And it was just a little touch. Goalie had no chance. Beautiful goal. And and and, and that was that was KDB, that first half, you know. When he's passing the ball, he's unbelievable. There was another great opportunity, I think, that once again on the right where, where KDB did uh, uh, pulled the ball back to, I think, Gundogan who put it wide. That should have been another goal. First half, he was incredible. And KDB, sometimes you feel he should he should stick to, sh- to passing rather than shooting. And that's a reference to his wild uh, swipe at a ball when it was through, when he should have passed Aguero. It's fantastic. That goal was, I mean, that, that, that goal was the textbook City goal, wasn't it? Yeah. Whereas the first one, we don't usually get goals from crosses. Um, high crosses. Uh, so that was kind of, and it, that first goal reminded me a bit of the second goal in the cup final where the ball was uh, played over high and, and Gabriel Jesus got to it behind the um, Gomez and the defender. Uh, I, except uh, except Saturday's goal was a lot classier than, than that. But but yeah, that second goal, our second goal on Saturday was textbook City. Yeah, Ray, that was uh, what you mentioned on the 43rd minute. Agundawan missed a great chance. Yeah. That was another KDB missile that was deserving of a goal. But Ray, sticking with you for the moment, just, just before the whistle, absolute fill from Bernardo Silva. <laughs> ole, ole, ole from the crowd. And Dombele, Danny Rose and Lamella. He went round them. He went through them. He humiliated them. He eventually yeah. was clattered by Danny Rose. And Michael <laughs> Oliver gives a free kick. What yeah. on earth was that free kick well, for? This is, I, I, I said this in, in, when I made some notes, talking about the poor quality of the referee. How on earth can you give a foul against Bernardo there when he's got splattered on the floor by the defender? And there were two guys trying to make Bernardo sandwich I and mean, there's not much meat in that sandwich with Bernardo and they were slamming him to the floor it was more like um WWE you know <laughs> wrestling bout than than football than a football match and but it just summed up Oliver. That's that was just a, a terribly poor decision. And the linesman or the assistant referee, well, he's not he's not wasn't certainly good enough to be classed as an assistant referee. You know, it, it was another example of a, a really really poor decision. And I, I did say to the the man next to me, uh, Ma, uh, Mike, uh, I think his name was uh, Michael, uh, in uh, the stand in the side stand. I said they're going to make a gif of that Bernardo trickery. Uh, he was on the floor. He was up back and forth with these players. He, he it was a, an amazing amazing piece of skill an amazing piece of skill and I, I'm, I'm waiting to see the gift because it's, it's surely going to come out it's one that's going to be played again and again and again I will forward that to you Ray it looked, uh, it looked a little bit like the way that we play in down near the corner flag when we're playing Manchester United in the 94th minute but uh, yep uh, Tottenham were chasing shadows lovely little comment from a, an honest Liverpool supporter on social media he said is there any? <laughs> he, well he said City looked twice as dominant against Spurs as we did against Southampton levels levels okay guys into the second half we saw two shades of Kyle Walker 46th minute Kyle Walker sprinting down the right whipping low towards the near post Lloris does extremely well to uh, to, to gather that without spilling Aguero was lurking nothing came of it shots raining in on the Spurs goal De Bruyne Zinchenko De Bruyne again Aguero over the bar this is getting sil- uh, really silly Bernardo Silva another one and then 56th minute 
goal. Lucas Mora gets the jump on Kyle Walker, Colin Savage. How does a five foot six little guy who's only been on for ninety seconds get the jump on our Kyle? We were talking about this at the game, and we were watching the market. I mean, there weren't that many corners, and, and um, I'm down in uh, the, the corner, the south corner of the East Stands. So when when Spurs were attacking in that uh, second half, we got to see it, and uh, we, we were doing a, a zonal marking system. And I always see the problem with the zonal marking system is you've got you're defending players around the six yard box and you've got your attacking players a bit further out and you, the attacking players can get a run on the ball if you put the ball in the right position the attacking player can get a run on the ball where but but the defending player can't so that always gives them an advantage a bit of a springboard and um, if they pick if, if the corner taker picks the right spot that I think that gives them a huge advantage and um uh, yeah. So yeah, and we are a bit vulnerable at set pieces, and that, that that for me is a consequence of zonal marking. I say because if you put the corner in the right place, the attacker has got a run on it, which always gives him an advantage over the defender, who is static. Ray, next ten minutes, it's absolutely raining in on the Tottenham goal. Yeah. Bernardo puts one on the crossbar. Bernardo, Aguero, Otamendi, they all take turn on the Tottenham goal sure. in a melee. Sixty-six minute. Gabby J on for Aguero. Array. Q temper tantrum between Aguero and Mr. Guardiola. What do you think of that? Yeah. Well, uh, I think th- there is a discussion to be had about Aguero and Jesus right now, or very soon. I think from some things I read uh, during the game, that Pep wasn't happy with the Spurs' first goal, that Aguero wasn't there to put pressure on Ndombele, who had oceans of space to pass it forward. And Aguero, after 66 minutes, is certainly not happy about being dragged off um, because it's his first proper game of the season. Uh, And he can't even get through uh, more than two-thirds of the game. But I think he wasn't pressing hard enough. He wasn't doing the job that uh, Pep wanted up front. And we all know that Gabby Jesus, he's got, what, nine years on, on Sergio? And he will, that's that's what he does. He works really, really hard. I, I, I'm not saying Aguero didn't work hard, but I think Agu- uh, Gabby Jesus works a different type of hard. And I think also he deserved his chance. Um, he had a good game last week. Uh, he was all right in the Community Shield. And it was a bit disappointing, I'm sure, for him that he got dropped. Uh, same way probably for Mares as well. You're involved with all five goals in a game and next game you're on the bench. So, yeah, Aguero wasn't happy. Look, Aguero's a senior player. He's, what, 31 years old? He's been here for eight years. He's, he had something to say. Um, and I don't think Pep was happy. Pep always liked to um, coach. Uh, at all times even when your sub's coming off he's still telling him stuff and sometimes look if you've had a hard game you think you've worked hard you're disappointed to come off sometimes you're going to react and I just think that's what it was Um, they did kiss and make up at the end um, when we thought we'd scored Uh, (laughs) and I don't know if we hadn't scored would they have kissed and made made up you know um, I don't know it'd be very interesting to see who plays up from um, at the weekend against Bournemouth Yes listeners you do get the impression don't you that Guardiola is so obsessed that he'd be phoning up players at three o'clock in the morning uh, with ideas about what they should have done better. At this point, Blues, we were all beginning to fear that this could possibly be a smash-and-grab job. 2-2 it stood. Obviously, Guardiola concurred. He brought on David Silva to replace Rodri on 79, Mares to replace Bernardo Silva on 80, and then we had Zinchenko go down with cramp for about two and a half uh, minutes, and we ended up with uh, four minutes of extra time. But of course, the key moment in the match, 90 plus two, a corner. KDB, Laporte de Jesus, winner. We won the game. Menon, VAR. One of uh, the commentators on uh, the Daily Mail says this little quote, 
Surely VAR in this situation is supposed to apply only if the attacker whose hand it hits gains control or possession of the ball. And he's reading from the rule book. In this case, he did not gain control or possession. So this was a refereeing mistake. Ray, just coming to the end. Yeah. City had 30 attempts on goals to Tottenham's three or two, if you believe Guardiola. Ten were on target. Well, yeah. Spurs scored with both of theirs. The expected goals, if you believe in such things, were ridiculous. City, three. Spurs, 0.22. City had 13 corners. Spurs, just two and uh, City had overall 56% of possession. Does this console you, Ray? <laughs> what do you think, Mike? No, uh, absolutely not. Look, there's one. There's, there's, there's a lot still to sit, talk about this game. And one thing I'm going to mention about those 30 shots, I think sometimes we are too casual with our finishing. I've said this for a few years. We are not clinical enough. If we were, I mean, we. funny thing is we're, we've been breaking records this last two seasons, not being as clinical as I think we could and should be. And if, if we were clinical, we'd be hammering teams left, right and centre on an even more regular basis. And we're scoring a lot of goals. Look at the West Ham. We weren't, I don't think we pawned brilliantly against West Ham. We were just poor defensively, especially in the second half when their heads went down. Against Spurs, we had so many chances. Unbelievable number of chances. And, and I'll go back to one I've already mentioned. If this was Harry Kane having a pot shot with his right foot, high, wide and handsome, rather than passing to uh, Sergio Aguero for a tap-in, we'd be making, we'd be really laying into Harry Kane for this, like he didn't pass Sterling in the World Cup when the ball was on, uh, you know, on a plate for Sterling to tap in and we would have probably have gone two goals clear to win the game and it would have been the same here. We were winning two one at the time. KDB has a has a pop uh, when I think he should have passed, uh, squared it to Aguero who was pretty much unmarked for a, should have been a tap-in and we, because of everything else that's happened, we don't look at this. Because of the VA handball penalty because of the uh, the non-penalty for Rodri's uh, rugby tackle grapple and in fact that wasn't even a rugby tackle because you grab someone by the neck you'll be penalised for that in rugby so we've and then we look at the errors from the defenders we look at all this and we don't look at we're not very clinical on, on too often and it just sounded a little bit odd when we score so many goals and we have so many chances but when if you're having 30 shots 10 on target and the chances we had with the Gundogan one that missed early in the second half as well I don't think Sterling was committed enough for a goal and I actually think our players sometimes think we're going to have more chances we have so many chances we're going to have more and we can maybe it's not conscious but we can be a bit more relaxed in the way we play and that's sometimes why we score some fantastic goals because when players are relaxed they can do some unbelievable things because they're not tense and they, they are feeling quite I'll use that word again relaxed so we always think we're going to create more chances and we're going to keep creating chances and we're going to score. And sometimes we don't do the team play. KDB did not do the team play in that instant. He should have passed it, squared it to Aguero. We'd have been 3-1 up at half time. I think that game would have been dead and buried. Spurs would have had to come on to us and that obviously would play into our hands. So that's an, a big, big issue for me. Um, the fact of, of, of the sometimes we just... People, you feel they don't take the responsibility of being a team player. They look for their occasional own personal glory. Sometimes you see Aguero being a little bit greedy, trying to take six men on. And this is, I'm not here as a massive criticism against players, but it's like Pep, Pep will agree. And he insists we can do better, even though this was, he said this is one of the best performances since he's been here. We have to do better because we didn't win. We had that much, so many chances we didn't win. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, just move on. We've got, got the, uh, the point. And, they're looking at all the negative, the other things about the VR and the handball and all that. 
I'm looking at other things as well, and I was noticing this throughout the game. Yes, yeah, sir, Ray. I think we can we can all agree with you, Ray, because I think what you said was exemplified in the short cameo of Riyad Mahrez. Because uh, every time he got the ball, I mean, all of us were saying, "I see what you're trying to do there, guy. I see what you're trying to do." He was trying to get in on his uh, left and uh, take a shot at goal. I was going to say, just to pick up on what Ray said, I mean, if we take now, uh, re, even uh, I think three expected goals is being a bit uh, on the on the miserly side, because I'm thinking perhaps that they've not got the Sterling one as an expected goal, which I could understand. But you think of the Gundogan one in the first half mm. when KDB crossed and he put it wide. Yeah, you know, you'd have put your mortgage on him putting the ball in the in the corner there. There was KDB in the second half when he was through on goal and put it wide. And then there was one with Bernardo Silva where the, uh, Sterling tried to play him in, but the ball was deflected. But actually fell into his path better and his shot was quite weak right, to, to Hugo Lloris uh, and again you'd have put money on Bernardo to score that goal so I'm thinking of easily three chances that we've spurned that we would normally have scored and you know if we were 5-2 up we wouldn't be talking about VAR. You know, if it had been the sixth goal that had been disallowed for, for that Laporte handball, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't, well, we, we would be talking about VAR probably, but it wouldn't have been loomed as large in our discussion as it did to because we dropped two points. At the end of the day, the, the responsibility for dropping those two points was not VAR. Uh, and that's not, not including the penalty, by the way, but the responsibility for dropping those points was the city forwards. Well, uh, Colin, let you have the final word. Bournemouth up next, then Brighton. Should those guys be trembling in their boots. Do you predict, as in the words of the Kaiser Chiefs, a riot, a goal riot? Well, we saw at Bournemouth last season that uh, Eddie Howe played a most untypical part of the bus type game with no shots during the whole game for the first time in the history of the Premier League. But we still overcame that. So, yeah, I'm hoping that... uh, this was the hardest game we, the last game, the Spurs game, was probably on paper the hardest game we've got in our first 10 games. So to have got that out of the way, you would expect us to give Brighton um, the run around at home, but after Spurs, you know, after spurning chance after chance against Spurs. Uh, yeah, Brighton are, good at, Brighton are normally a good oak team, uh, and that suits us very well, but they also play on the counter, which also takes advantage of probably our biggest weakness that I think we're prone to um, attacks on the counter because we tend to have so many men, simply because we tend to have so many men forward at any one time. Uh, so so it really kind of depends aspect on what Eddie Howe does. Does he does he kind of go back to his plan A, which is to, to play quite open, which means we will score goals as, as any attacking team will do against Bournemouth. I think um, interesting stat, I don't know, I remember mentioning this, I don't think it was on the pod, but Bournemouth apparently last season scored the most goals from counter-attack. Uh, among all the Premier League teams. But also, you normally expect with a counter-attacking team that they will be quite solid at the back. So you're thinking Leicester 2015-16. But Bournemouth allowed the most passes in their, their final third, i.e. their defensive third, than uh, any other team. More passes than any other Premier League team. So... Even though they rely on a counter-attack, or they're quite heavily reliant on counter-attack, they're actually very soft at the back. So if they, they play anything like they normally play, we will take adva- we will or should take advantage of that. If Eddie Howe does his part of the bus, uh, tries his part of the bus routine again, then obviously it will be more difficult, but we're less at risk of the counter-attack. Yes, guys, we've got a string of uh, eminently winnable games now right through until the 9th of November when we play Liverpool. Just checking my BBC uh, timeline now as we draw to an end. I see that uh, the Manchester United team dropped two points against Wills that ended 1-1. City lying third in the table, two points behind Liverpool, of course, and that's the way it's looking 
at the moment. Going to give an opportunity for our two guests to make any final comments, and then we're going to wrap this up. Uh, yeah, I, I, I have got a few final comments. Uh, um, it's about staying to the end. I mean, we got to towards 88, 89 minutes, and City fans from where I was, they were leaving in droves and couldn't believe it. Honestly, we just can't believe. You know, I know some people, I know uh, one of the, the guys I know behind me, he had a train to catch and you miss your last train and you're going a long distance, that's a big issue. And because obviously it's an evening game, by the time you get to the station, it's eight o'clock and I knew he had a long way to go. But a lot of people were leaving and the guy guy next to me, you know, we were saying, just you guys wait until we score. <laughs> and, and and then we did. So it, it's, it's funny that City have got these new rules um, which I think went through City Matters to convince in, in, in a certain way people to come either come to more games or to put their, make their tickets available on the ticket exchange so other fans can come to games so we can have a bigger crowd at home I applaud them for that but this, they've got to now look at a way to make people stay to the end because you can't <laughs> believe in six or seven minutes you know before the end of the game in, in moments like that I'll mention the VAR the, the fact that we were crazy at the end it was one of those special it was a special moment you know, I was singing and dancing. It must have been for a couple of minutes before someone pointed out that VAR had ruled the goal out. We do need some more information in the grants on VAR. You know, I'm re- really, we do need that. We really do. As, as fans, we're getting, we're nothing. We didn't know whether it was a handball that the uh, goal was disarrived for. We didn't know if it was offside. You know, it's not fair on match-going uh, fans. A lot of fans are unhappy, obviously, with the way the game finished and they can't celebrate. I'll keep celebrating. And I just want to make a point. I'm not sure whether this will make the final cut. I just want to make a point about that third, that third shot from Spurs. That's uh, Harry Kane shot. I tell you what, it's nothing like John Johnny Addis's shot. Yeah, for Balamina at the week. Yeah. <laughs> Are you having a crack that uh, Lauren, my hometown team, oh, Lauren lost four two? I, I I didn't know it was against Lan. I was unaware of that. I was just going to mention that it was twenty three years to the day since David Beckham scored from the halfway line. I, I didn't know it was against Lan. Thanks for uh, mentioning that, Mike, and uh, improving my general knowledge of the game. I will remember this forever now. That uh, Johnny Addy scored against Lan for Balamina. Yes, I'm going to have my dad on the phone within a couple of hours about this one, guys. It's going to be a a mutual uh, grievance procedure here. But um, anyway, there you have it. That was the game. Manchester City 2, Tottenham 2. Let's say farewell to our two honoured guests. First of all, the king of the Kipax man, Colin Savage. Thank you so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure. And also to our esteemed guest, Ray, from Man City Fan Chat. Thank you so much, Ray. Uh, as Colin says, always a pleasure. Lots of fun. Okay, guys. Well, I'll get editing. You'll have this in a few hours. We'll be with you after the next game. So we'll finish in the normal way by saying, have one on us and up the blues. <laughs> Manchester United have done all they can. That really goes enough for the 